0: Welcome to Autoimmune Revolution Radio. I'm your host, Justin Janoska, clinician and founder of the Autoimmune Revolution. After watching my mom suffer with autoimmune disease, I have made it my mission and purpose to help people like you. Unlock the door to better results, regain control of your body, and feel like yourself again. I want you to become an autoimmune alchemist and get your life back. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. May you be filled today with joy, abundance, loving kindness, peace and love. All right, what's going on, y'all? Welcome back to Autoimmune Revolution Radio. I'm psyched for today's episode. We're going to get into a very important topic on childhood attachment. And this is critical when you're trying to understand trauma and why you are stuck in trauma cycles and patterns of behaviors, even disease and autoimmunity. And my argument has been for a while that Early childhood adversity and stress is what underpins autoimmune disease and future illness, especially who I work with, which is women that exhibit those chronic diseases. And it doesn't mean that it's all about trauma and that trauma is responsible for every autoimmune disease in the world. not saying that at all, but what I'm saying is that a lot of the early stressors that we are experiencing are probably the things that are setting the fire in the body and dysregulating the nervous system and research tells us this so it doesn't have to be trauma related but a lot of what i see and work with is indeed that i would easily say that 90 percent of my clients right now on a consistent basis are dealing with unresolved trauma and early stress that they haven't worked through so this is largely predicated i find on early attachment and it's not all about that of course you can have stress and trauma from early adolescence and other things that you've experienced and perhaps from a one-off incident as well but a lot of what we see is complex trauma and recurring episodes of stress so the attachment early on between a parent and child is the first real critical experience and opportunity for trauma to, to take place and this might sound distressing because if you're a parent you might be thinking well i thought i was doing all the right things and you are and a lot of people think they are and they really are setting the intention to do the right things but it's really just about understanding that our behaviors and actions are, while they may they may seem innocuous and harmless, they are potentially causing a lot of pain for a child, and that's why we have to have this have this discussion. There was a quote I read a while ago about this, and essentially it said that. We are mistaken if we believe that children need to be pushed towards independence and self-reliance. The process of human development does not speed up with force or coercion. The most balanced, secure, and self-confident young adults are those who were supported to develop at their own pace within the haven of sensitive and loving relationships and other environments. So, that tells us a lot about how important it is to have a critical relationship with a caregiver. I mean, we're all built off of relationships. That's what we need to survive. That's really what keeps us alive and supports longevity. So let's dig into this a bit. And there are four main different attachment styles that maybe you've heard about. Um, So we have the secure attachment style, and this is the one That we all hope to achieve. This is the one that we all wish we had, basically. But unfortunately, it's not what most have experienced. And you can still have this as an adult. Like, you can start off being in a certain attachment style with a parent, but you can evolve and change into a different attachment style. Because, of course, what you experience between you, yourself, and a a parent creates one sort of dynamic and it changes your behaviors and thoughts and beliefs. And then of course, as you heal your pain, that can change how you act in the world and change how you relate to others and how you show up in romantic relationships and so forth. And yeah, I'm an example of that. And I'll tell you about my situation in a minute. So with the secure attachment, we have, of course, trust between two individuals. There's love, there's acceptance, there is connection. There's a sense of intimacy and there's repair. And the caregiver is responsive to the child's needs, attunes to their needs. And there is this sort of reciprocal relationship going on here, where you're tuning to my needs, I'm also responding favorably. And that is how the connection is made. The child is being understood and listened to and being validated and seen for what they are. And That doesn't mean that that can't happen in perhaps subpar relationships. I mean, there's moments where this does happen pretty much across the board, I would say in most cases. However, it's more about frequency. It's more about consistency. And that's really the, the takeaway with this is that it's not like you just ignore a child or you do this or you get mad and yell at them or you hit them or something. And then all of a sudden their life is flipped upside down. Um, and it's really not for us to decide. The the child decides how how to perceive that. But generally, these are things that are chronic, which are what leave a long-lasting long impact on the brain and the nervous system. So the secure attachment is the first type. There are three others that I'm going to get into, and this is what relates to what I'm just saying here. So the anxious ambivalent or preoccupied attachment style is probably the one that you're most familiar with I'm most familiar with I I would consider myself I would consider myself growing up with this attachment issue and essentially this says that a caregiver is not consistently there for a child in the way the child needs to be so this is sort of what's challenging because parents are doing the best they can and life happens and when it's going on and on and on for a long period of time, and the caregiver is distant out of the picture, disconnected, being inconsistent with their actions and their words, and unpredictable with affection, those are the things that can leave an indelible mark on a small infant's brain. So that's what that's about. It's this sort of push pull cycle. There are cycles between being in contact they connected and then being distant and avoidant. And the child can actually sense this. And this is what's crazy. They don't need to have the language to discern this. Um, People will say to me, well, my child's fine. They don't show any signs of trauma or stress. I'm like, yeah, because they can't verbalize it, but they're feeling it. They have mirror neurons. They can witness and absorb what you're doing. Seeing you fight with your spouse, seeing you have a panic attack, seeing you in bed and sick and debilitated from a disease. You know, they absorb that energy. They can be distressed just from witnessing. They don't have to be in the trauma, in the middle of it, okay? So there's this unpredictability that happens. And if you're a parent who's working a lot, you're maybe traveling a lot, this unfortunately can happen. And it's really about the repair, which is really the most important thing. Is as long as that a child can feel seen and validated and heard, and you can let them know that you're there, you care for them, and they will be looked out, uh, looked after for all these things that a child would want to hear. As if you were to fall off your bike and scrape your knee, you need someone to, to help you and make sure that you, you know. Let them know that, letting them know that they're safe and that they're going to be okay. If you get that as a kid, then usually you're fine. That's really what's most important. So that's a good thing, but we have to make sure that we're doing that if we're not consistent with our caregiving and parenting. So when this doesn't happen and it goes on and on and on for a child where they experience, these episodes of unpredictability and inconsistent affection and love, they have this internal belief of, well, they can have these internal beliefs of, well, I need to be louder. I need to stand up for myself. I need to um, exaggerate my needs to make sure that they'll be met. I need to um, prove my self worth. I need to be seen. I need to do all these crazy things, you know, as a young teenager or an adult to prove my worth or to gain attention. This is what I've been saying. Like, think about that for yourself. What have you done to try to to garner attention and affection? And, you know, are you an overachiever? Are you a perfectionist? Are you a workaholic? Are you trying to become the CEO of a company? Doing a bikini competition? Are you trying to win first place in this marathon? doesn't mean that's it's trauma related but it just begs the question well why am i doing this why do i want validation why do i want to be seen so much but a lot of it comes from early childhood in our relationships with parents so this can also look like neediness and clingy behavior and being anxious about our partner and our in our relationship with um romantic relationship rather and you may have seen this, you may have done this, I've done this, I've seen it, where you're clingy, you're codependent, you're wondering why your partner isn't responding to you right away, or meeting your needs, or texting you right back, <laughs> and so you start getting anxious and worried, and it's all about this sort of style that I'm talking about. So this is why it's really important, because it really does shape how we show up later on as adults, and if it's it can be innocuous it could be not much of a problem but if it's very stressful to a body it can turn into disease and turn to issues and it can really tarnish relationships and you can never have a secure solid relationship because you're always on high alert you're always vigilant you're always on edge you're always feeling nervous and anxious and look these built-up energies in the body of anxiety for example is not not healthy at all. It really fries your nervous system, right? And so you're never feeling safe and your body never gets that message. So, you know, abandonment from from a caregiver, for example, right, can leave you anxious and attached. That's something that I see a lot clinically with clients. They have had caregivers who were, um, who just left for a period of time, but came back. They weren't consistently gone forever, but it's one of those things that can really send an implicit message to a child that, wow, I'm not lovable, I'm not important enough, and I must have been, I'm bad, I must have done something wrong, even though that sounds crazy, but that's what a child perceives, okay? So that's what um, anxious, ambivalent, or preoccupied attachment can look like. The, sec- the, the third one here is anxious avoidant. And this is when a parent or caregiver is really doing what I just said, but in a chronic manner where they're chronically rejecting, chronically withdrawn, dismissive, and distant to a child. They're essentially emotionally disengaged. So the child never gets their needs met, never feels seen or heard or validated or cared for or loved. And this is something you'll see in in parents who are, Dealing with substance abuse or dealing with their own trauma. Maybe they are narcissists, maybe they are um, alcoholics, and maybe they're really sick and ill or, and disabled. Okay. Some of it is just part of life. Some of it is just part of trauma and their own issues are dealing with. And that's a lot of what happens is that if, if a parent, if you're acting, if your attachment style is a certain way, We'll look at your parents and, and and see what they went through in their life because it's probably influencing why, um, influencing their relationship with you and why you came out the way you, you did. And that's what I'm saying about trauma gets passed on if we don't deal with our own stuff and face it. Okay? So when this happens to a child and you have a parent who is avoidant, the, a child can grow up and really suffer – with these emotions and they can, they they basically learn to deactivate and cut off their emotions. Um, Depending on the environment, you know, you can see kids grow up as adults who grow into adults who don't show emotion. They suppress their emotions because they were told they weren't allowed to express it. They were told they would get in trouble if they expressed it. Um, And maybe they were never, never, they never felt safe to express it because of this, the relationship that they're in because of the with with their parent and for a child they have this internal dialogue of i can't get my needs met so i better not show them i better not show my feelings or i better not expect too much from others because i'll get let down so there's a general sense of fear of intimacy and this is why you might have met guys or, or people who are emotionally unavailable, they prefer to be independent or self-reliant, they are afraid of intimacy, they're afraid of of trust, they're afraid, essentially, they're, they're basically living from fear, even though it might come off as confidence and cockiness and ego and this and that and the other. But what's underlying um, all that, what's behind the curtain there is really fear and a sense of needing love and attention that they never got. And that's what I always think about is when I see men or alpha males or whatever you want to call it these days. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a pretense. It's a mask or something else. What are they really needing that they didn't get? Um, it's not their true essential self. Okay. So I actually just saw it in the gym the other day. And so I'm thinking about it right now, but there's really fear there. And so you see this and this is why we really want to understand men or people who are, Act in this way because there's something that they experience that caused them to be this way and that's what we need to understand is if we want to help people change and support them we should really connect and be empathetic and 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 integrate what I'm saying here into this discussion instead of condemning criticizing and saying you need to do better and change and stop being selfish or stop being so you know, why are you talking to all these girls like why are you in their dms and this and that I mean yeah it's not a good thing to do but they're doing it for for a certain reason because they can't connect they're afraid of trust they're afraid of intimacy they're afraid of being let down and maybe that's what happened to them as a kid is that they got connected to a parent and then their parent like completely changed and they were just they they hurt them they left them they abandoned them and that's a big deep hole in the heart for a kid so this is what I'm saying, and this is why um, we needed to pay, pay close attention to this. And if you're this way yourself, well, I give you a lot of compassion and just understand that you're doing the best you can, given what happened to you. And there's a way out of this. There's a way to change this, but there's a lot of healing and unburning that needs to happen. And this is really the, the stuff I spend a lot of time with, with clients these days who have chronic disease, because you need to repair that wound. And... If you don't, then the autoimmune issues don't get better. You know, there's still a stress there that the body has been, hasn't been has let go of that needs to be discharged. Okay, so I hope that makes sense. And I'll tell you what, research has even told us that, um, I think it was from Mary Ainsworth, that said that somewhere around 35 to 40% of North American children fail to demonstrate secure attachment. And the most common form of disrupted attachment from the research is this insecure, anxious, avoidant attachment style. So think about that. Okay, that's a lot of kids. (laughs) So think about how trauma, how prevalent trauma is. It really is. But this is what I'm saying. People. Need to understand. You need to understand that trauma is this sort of thing, not just I, you know, I went to war, I experienced a natural disaster, I was in a motor motor vehicle accident. It's a lot of a lot of it is centered around this stuff. Doesn't seem traumatic, but for a child, it is, and that's what developmental trauma is all about. So, lastly, we have the fearful attachment style or the disorganized attachment style, and this is the more extreme of the four, it's mostly seen in kids who experience abuse, and have parents who are supporting or creating a traumatizing environment, they're living in a traumatized environment, maybe it has to do with feeling um, impoverished, or or living in a in a community that's very uh, unsafe, or there's abuse, or there's a lack of protection, there's a lot of danger all the time maybe there's drugs, maybe there's violence going on and maybe the parent is an alcoholic or yeah, physically or verbally abusive, but mostly physical, sexually abusive, perhaps it's this idea, this, this dichotomy, this sort of um, real difficult idea of your parent being the source of safety and the source of danger at the same time. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance that happens for a kid. You're my parent. I trust you. I need you. You provide a safe haven for me, but you're also dangerous and I don't know how to straddle that. That's what's really challenging, right? So the child is left with no real strategy for how to make meaning out of this. And they can turn into someone who has been diagnosed with ADHD or ODD or oppositional defined disorder. ADHD is, is really You know, it's a common diagnosis these days, but a lot of it really comes from this sort of thing of trauma and early experiences with a parent. So the child tunes out. If you know about uh, Gabor Mate, he is uh, very well versed in this discussion around attachment and trauma, but he talks about this a lot. And it's very true, though. I mean, it, it comes out more than just ADHD, but that's one way, aggressive behavior and defiance and personality disorders a lot of the stuff is these labels we slap kids with is really a corollary of early childhood trauma and it's things like this so here we are as a society trying to give them medications and trying to tell them to do better and discipline them but we're not even like getting to the real underlying issues for why they have this mental health psychiatric illness like adhd okay think about that because you if you have a kid A child who has this diagnosis or one of these labels, anxiety and depression, like there's a reason for it. It's not like you just wake up one day and you get it, okay? So a lot of it is rooted in this sort of thing. So again, with fearful avoidant attachment, the child desperately craves affection and also wants to avoid it at all costs. That's what's so interesting about it. So it's really tough. It's like a tug of war in your head. Like, what do I do? Do I do this or do I do that? Do I get close or do I avoid? So when a child grows up to be a a young adult, they are going to have similar issues with relationships and connecting it up to people like with the fearful um, or anxious avoidant attachment style kids. Okay. They will be reluctant to get close to people And at the same time, have a dire need for it. Okay? And so people get wishy-washy. They're erratic. They want to get close. They want to break up with you. They want to get it back together. I mean, there's a lot of these sort of things that happen. Nothing's ever consistent. So a child can experience a sense of fear and a lack of trust. Despite wanting connection. And this will show up as an adult. Into adulthood. So... It's a lot, right? I mean, it's a lot to really think about and and consider and it's also really troubling to hear this, isn't it? But the one thing I'll say here is that whether it's, of all three of these attachments, aside from secure they all have a common denominator, a common theme of shame, of not feeling good enough, inadequacy, unworthiness there's a lot of blame going on, there's a lot of denial of feelings and the reality. And it's expressed verbally or non-verbally. And for a young kid who's, you know, six, seven years, uh, five years or younger, perhaps can't really string words together. They're experiencing this and they're expressing their feelings and their stress through their posture and their behaviors and actions. And, this is this is why um, they've done studies on this where like a, a parent has been uh, av- you know gone for a period of time was gone at work and comes back to see the child and the child's avoiding they're hating the parent they're completely closed off they don't want anything to do with them and then maybe another moment they're back in action they're connected and they're showing attention and want connection and grabbing for mom and you know wanting her love like this is what happens and so it's really interesting so you can really categorize these uh attachment styles as like the good the bad and the ugly the good is the secure attachment the bad is these normal misattunements that we can recover from and that's the sort of the thing that where most i think people are these days as parents and where you can really step it up and be aware of this and how you're showing up for a kid and what you can do to repair if there is a misattunement, where you know essentially, like for example, your kid is doing homework and needs your help, and you're just ignoring them, and you're just on your phone scrolling through social media, or you don't acknowledge them when they're falling or crying, or you, yeah, like that's a big deal. When they're crying, you ignore them. Like that's what I'm saying. Those sort of things, you, we can do better with that. And if we repair that, then that's okay. Like normal misattunements or misattunements are normal. It's going to happen. But again, it's how you recover from that and make them feel safe and and seen again. If you do that, you're going to be probably in good shape. The ugly is where this is ongoing and there is no opportunity for repair and the misattunements keep going and going and going. And the child is left alone, confused, disorganized and dysregulated and feels threatened and pretty much bottom of the barrel, shame and unworthiness. And that is what becomes traumatic um, the most. So, That's how I would look at it. And I'll tell you a few things from a paper. There's many studies on this and something I pulled out from a study said that mothers who were exposed to adversity as children are at an increased risk of having children with emotional and behavioral difficulties in early childhood as transmitted via their adult attachment styles and depressive symptomatology which really is is coming back to what I said about if you as a parent went through trauma and had parents, your parents were this way, well, you're going to act in a way that supports the same things in your kids. They're going to experience the same things you did or have their own attachment styles and traumas. That's why we do our own internal healing. Those who experience insensitive and inconsistent caregiving, as seen in those of abuse and neglect, are more likely to form mental representations of their caregivers as unreliable and untrustworthy, subsequently contributing to the development of insecure and disorganized attachment. Okay, so abuse and neglect are often the biggest things. It's usually emotional abuse or emotional neglect that are the real silent killers here a lot of us think of it as physical or sexual abuse and that does happen, but the more seemingly less harmful trauma is the emotional abuse or, ne- or neglect. It's really the neglect that gets overlooked the most because there's no action except inaction. There is the sort of style of not shown up and just the way we, we orchestrate and move and how we interact with kids or lack thereof, of course, and not listen and, um, be present with them and pay attention to them, whether it's verbal or nonverbal. Like that's the sort of thing that really over time can really send a message to a kid that I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. And then they try to compensate through their behaviors and actions. And again, this can be very stressful to a kid and and it really sets the it hardwires the nervous system for they call it biological embedding where this can upregulate stress hormones and and people become more hyper aroused and they, they become more sensitive to other stimuli in the future and this is the sort of thing i've been saying where this could lead down a path towards autoimmune disease if you have a, all of the other genetic predispositions and other variables that happen to create the perfect storm okay But that's how how paramount it is. And like I was saying, it's not just about disease, but how you show up in relationships in the future. So when children experience maltreatment like this, they are at a greater risk for developing insecure attachments with other people. Okay? And we know that these mental health challenges that emerge from these insecure attachments can contribute and often do to issues with adult attachment relationships and romantic relationships where um, things don't last and things break down and you're never really, you're never really satisfied. You're never really getting the connection you want because you're relying on someone else to meet your needs. And that's a big thing. We all did this and I've done this. And that's actually what I want to end with here is um, kind of sharing exactly what I've realized for myself, if I may. So I was somebody who probably had more of an anxious ambivalent attachment style. My parents were going through a divorce and I was experiencing a lot of that. My mom was sick in bed for a long time, for many years. There probably was a sense of abandonment, neglect, and I didn't notice it. It's it's not conscious. It's very subconscious. And so I was someone who became really anxious and was stuck in that response where um, I felt no one understood what I was going through. And I was making kind of poor decisions, um, even early in uh, as as a teenager and bailing on certain important um, events or gatherings with family and wanting to be with people that I felt connected with or was drawn to that would make me feel satisfied. So no one really understood it, but I looked back at it and I said, wow, I was really just in a trauma response because I was like, I need to be attached to this person or I need to get back home and be with this person because that's how I'm going to feel, feel alive. It's how I'm going to feel whole again. And I felt so uneasy being away for a long period of time. I remember being in Italy um, as a teenager and I wanted to go home early just so I could be with this girl, you know, because I felt like I was so dysregulated and um, I didn't feel like myself. Right. That's what, that's kind of what I mean. Like, this is how it shows up for us. And then later on I became sort of antagonistic and rebellious and struggling with attachment still at a young age and noticing that I was having guilt for, for um, (laughs) feeling guilty by not, how would I describe this? if I didn't do things because I didn't want to do them, like my my family was trying to encourage me to do things or get involved with things and I would say, no, I'd feel guilty about it. But if I did it, I would feel angry. And that was a real tough dichotomy for me. Okay. So here I am trying to straddle these two feelings and find out what's the best decision, but I had to really had to honor my own needs. And so I started moving in that direction where I started becoming really rebellious. And um, again, trying to find my identity and figure out how to give myself what I need. But this wasn't working for me at all. It was really the beginning of me trying to find myself and become autonomous and give myself what I need and and not sacrifice and betray my own self to meet other people's needs that's kind of what was happening and then eventually i became this autonomous person where i repaired a lot of my own pain and trauma through my work with my therapists and doing my own things and having boundaries and like all that self-sufficient sort of um, feelings that we get when we do this and knowing that we can rely on ourselves and and we have ourselves only to rely on and that's kind of where i am it's where i have been for many years now but that, that was kind of how I saw it progressing. And you had to really go deep into that and really dig into this to see this. And that's what we all have to do as humans if we really want to heal. Um, but that's that's the, the, the salient point here is that if you have things to look back into, do it. You know, If you really need to go backwards and explore your childhood and get support around the healing there, then let's do that. I'm happy to make that happen for you. And but you deserve to have that. You should do it because it's going to have a ripple effect on everything else in your life. All right. So I'm going to leave it there, but I hope that was helpful and it gave you something to think about. This is a real important topic and there's much, I mean, there's way more to go into, but for the sake of, um, of brevity here, we're going to cut it today to that. And yes, that's all I got. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in and uh, let me know your comments. would love to hear any feedback you have, leave me a review. I love that too. Always trying to see how I can make this better for you. And I will catch you next time on autoimmune revolution radio, sending you lots of peace and love today. Take care now.